Hey guys, welcome to Journey Podcast. I'm your host Smita Kanturi. You're going to hear a new segment in Journey Podcast as Coach It Forward. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello everybody. I have Yvonne Shanamir with me today. She is a mindfulness life coach with an experience of psychotherapy for more than 6 years. She successfully broken her family's life cycle of sorry, family's cycle of generational trauma. As a part of book discussion, Yvonne will share a lot of tips for abuse prevention along with some surprising statistics about victims and their perpetrators. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show everyone and uh, so so much thank you for putting up with me for all those things. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely honored to be here. Very excited. Absolutely, absolutely. First, I I I'm also getting your signed copy and thank you so much for doing it for me. You're and welcome. Please go ahead tell us your story first where and why you started this kind of a work. Absolutely. So, um actually my story started when I was just a child. Um sadly beginning at birth, I was um introduced to domestic violence and then at the age of 4 um became introduced to sexual abuse, child sexual abuse and incest. And from there, um I had many other encounters, many other traumas that in- that happened between um my adolescent years into my teen years and when i was about 10 years old i knew i was going to write my book and i knew at 10 years old that my book would be titled the invisible girl i i had it i knew that i was going to i knew that things happening to me that wasn't normal and i knew no one was helping me and i didn't understand why i was just a child um one reason why i titled the book the invisible girl is because you won't find any of my stories um in any headlines you won't find even a police report because um none of the perpetrators who ever victimized me um have been punished or held accountable for what they did um so i'm someone who has spent my entire life seeking justice and not receiving it for myself but i wanted to make sure that other children got the justice that they deserve even if i didn't my parents sadly were not um they weren't they didn't supervise me they didn't uh pay attention to who was around me um i was left with strangers i was um strangers were brought around me and unfortunately because of distorted beliefs that they had growing up they kind of carried that on to their own children and um some of those distorted beliefs uh, started with um you trust someone until they give you a reason not to that's not true <laughs> that's not true you don't trust until they give you a reason to trust them So when you meet people it was immediately they're exactly who they say they are you take them for face value and you don't question anything unless they give you a reason and another distorted belief that was passed on to me is that i had to forgive everybody for what they did to me and i want to say this I believe that forgiveness is a thousand percent for the person 
for the victim. However, I don't think forgiveness is earned unless that person shows some type of remorse, some type of um, accountability for what they did and actually understand the harm that they caused rather than taking in the pain and saying, well, it, I just have to forgive them you know, for my own peace. But what are you forgiving them for? They haven't, they haven't done anything to earn that forgiveness. So it's like forgiveness was pushed on to me. And especially because sadly, um, two of my abusers, well, actually three of my abusers were family members. So when you're getting into incest and the unhealthy dynamics of family and, um, you know, for many years, I was forced to sit across the table um, from an uncle who molested me. And even though everyone around me knew, I was expected to just be okay. I was expected to be over it. I was expected to have moved on. And sadly, again, and I'm really not sure what is behind this. But for whatever reason, my particular family tended to side with perpetrators versus siding with victims. So for instance, my uncle that molested me, it was, well, he was drinking, he was drunk. You know, he did that because he was drunk. Well, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people that get drunk and don't molest children. <laughs> so that is no excuse or, you know, you know, especially for like older men. Well, he's just an old man. You know, he doesn't know what he's doing. So you mean to tell me he's an old man now that has probably been doing this, these things since they were young men. And it's just, oh, they're older now. So they just, they get a free pass because they're older. So just so many distorted beliefs that prevented me from getting the help that I needed to get from the aftermath of all of these traumas. And when um, and when the viewers read the book and when you read the book, if you haven't finished it yet, you'll see that a, a very large amount of traumas happened within a very short period of time. And I, I became numb to it. I became, I'll say this, I started to feel like that was my purpose. My purpose in life was to satisfy men, whether I wanted it or not. And because of that, even as an adult, I had a very hard time saying no to men when it came to being sexually active or because I didn't feel like I could. I didn't feel like I had that power to say no, because all of my value, all of my worth was wrapped up in men wanting me, men, you know, desiring me, that if a man didn't desire me, then I wasn't worthy of anything. And so after many years of not getting any treatment whatsoever, 
Um, I left home at 15, ended up in another um, terrible relationship where um, it was physical abuse, sexual abuse, and, um, and he was also a drug addict. So I was then dealing with the world of crack cocaine addiction. And, um, and at the time I was only 16. Um, so I had to live a very adult life, very young. And I knew all this time, even when I was in these, this relationship with this man who, when I met him, he was 25 and I was 16. Actually 15, I take that back, I was 15. At the time, I didn't realize that he was a sexual predator. At the time, I thought that he was just this really attractive guy that was interested in me and I felt proud that he wanted to be with me. Of course, now I know that he was a perpetrator that preyed on a 15-year-old girl. And for four years, physically abused me, was addicted to crack cocaine. And I said, I know, even though I'm in the situation, this is not where I'm going to be in the future. I said, I know this is just kind of a stepping stone. This is a stepping stone to get me to my next path. And so after four years, I finally decided that I had to leave that relationship and I did. And it was my first experience with independence, with having a life where I wasn't being abused. I wasn't being victimized. I, by this point, I was 19, had my own apartment, had my own car, and was really determined to put the past behind me. And I eventually met and married a wonderful man. And, um, and unfortunately, it's within that first marriage that the after effects of the traumas really started to hit me. And at the time, I didn't know that that's what it was. I thought I was just depressed. I thought that, you know, I, you know, just wanted to be promiscuous because I found myself not feeling loved or needed or wanted by my husband, which caused me to act out and seek that validation from men because that was the only thing that I knew. That's, that's just, that's all I knew. But it was after I ended that marriage and I was single for about, well, I was not married, but I found myself in a five-year online relationship with a man who was uh, sadistic, cruel, and really one of the most disturbing human beings I've ever met in my life. And this five-year relationship involved mind control, mental abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, and physical abuse. 
And it was about four years into this relationship that I asked myself, what am I doing? This is not the life that I deserve. This is not the treatment that I deserve from a man. And I eventually ended that relationship after five years, which really the way that it ended was I just stopped emailing him and he never wrote me back. And that's how we cut ties. It's just, I didn't email him one day and he didn't email me back and that was it. Fast forward a little bit of time, um, a very short amount of time, like three days time when I met my now husband and the man who really helped me discover who I am, helped me discover that I am worthy of healing, that I am worthy of help. And he started seeing over the years that I wasn't myself. I was isolating. I was depressed. I would stay in my room for months. And when I say months, I mean, I would wake up, maybe go downstairs to get a bite to eat and then bring it right back up to the room. And that's where I was. 24 seven, didn't want to be around anyone. And it was finally my husband who said, you know, I really, really feel like you should, you know, talk to a therapist about what's going on with you because I was triggering and I was um, dissociating, which is where you basically step outside of reality and you don't really know what's going on around you because you're kind of stuck in a in a in a loop of some sort, uh, whether it be a trigger or whether it be an intrusive thought that you your psyche can't handle. I was pulling my hair and speaking in, in a childlike voice and just recounting everything that had happened to me and things, of course, that he had no idea about. <laughs> and so he, once he started seeing this, he became very concerned. And he's the one that actually did the search for the therapist. He's the one that, you know, printed out the list and said, honey, I need you to look at this list. I need you to get help for yourself. And that's what I did. And in 2015, that is really when my healing journey began, when I was about 36 years old. I started going to therapy and um, I've been going twice a week now for six years. And um, it's been the most incredible experience of my life, the most incredible healing journey that I never thought was possible for someone like me. How could someone like me who's been through everything that I've been through ever heal? How could I ever dig out these distorted seeds that, you know, I've, that have been planted in my psyche since I was a kid? But I found out that, guess what? It can be done. You can heal from terrible, unthinkable traumas as long as you're willing to put in the work. It takes commitment. It takes vulnerability. It takes feeling terrible, horrendous, horrible feelings <laughs> that you don't want to feel. 
but it's necessary. It's necessary pain. I call them growing pains because in this sense, if they, you're growing because you're processing these, these traumas and this pain that was put onto you by people that you had no choice. I used to believe that my past messed me up as a person, that my past um, is why, uh, I, or that I was just born with, you know, complex post-traumatic stress, or I was just born with these issues that I have and that it didn't have anything to do with my trauma. But what I now know is that I was just a normal child who had these traumas dumped onto her <laughs> that has caused these after effects, that caused this complex post-traumatic stress, that caused the depression, that caused my anxiety and all of the things that I honestly still, you know, battle with to this day because healing is a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. Nothing worth changing happens overnight. It takes time. You will have to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> talk about <clears throat> the same trauma over and 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 over <clears throat> until you really delve into all of the different feelings that come up from that one trauma. You think, oh, I just need to work on my anger because I'm angry. No, there's shame, there's anger, there's blame. There's so many other emotions that have to be processed. So you don't hold on to these negative emotions about yourself because you don't deserve it. You deserve to heal <clears throat> and you can. So that has been my journey thus far. And even to this day, twice a week, I'm in my therapy. Just had my session yesterday. <laughs> I have another session on Wednesday. <clears throat> but now I look forward to it. And what I've realized is in the beginning, it was so painful and I dreaded going to therapy. I was like, oh, it's always going to be this way. But you know what? That's not true. I've had some of the best laughs in my therapy. I've had some of the best <clears throat> insights into my therapy during my therapy. I've had so many questions answered in these sessions that I never thought would be possible. And because of that, I decided to pursue um, my certification in life coaching and mindfulness life coaching because I realized um, a lot of healing is just being in the present, not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future, but just what's right now. How are you feeling right now? What is happening right now in your life that you can control? Because that's the only thing that you need to be worried about today. Because you, if you can't control it, you shouldn't be thinking about it. <laughs> I know shouldn't, you shouldn't say shouldn't, but um, it's something that it's not worthy of your time in that moment. And so 
that was one of the greatest lessons that I learned um, through therapy is how to be present, how to ground myself, how to recognize triggers when they're happening. And then not only recognize them, but guess what? Then learn how to control that trigger. Wait a second. I know that's a trigger and I know I'm feeling this way because I'm triggered. And when normally I would want to lash out or I would want to hit something or get violent or act out in any way. I say, no, I know this doesn't, this is just a trigger right now and I'm able to control it. And so therapy gives you so much control over your life and your happiness and how you heal from your past. Um, so when it came time to write my book, I said, I know, I already know what I'm writing about. I already know what I'm doing. And now that my book is out, my goal is to speak to as many people as I possibly can to educate them about child sexual abuse, the statistics, um, who, who even abuses? How do you even know who to look out for? You know, what are signs and symptoms to look out for that your child has been abused? Um, and what are some grooming techniques that you can look out for when, you, when, you're, when you're observing adult and children interaction? Some grooming techniques that be, would be red flags and say, wait a second, something's not right in this relationship to ultimately prevention tips, which is the goal of all of this, is to prevent as much child sexual abuse as possible. Before we go further into your coaching uh, life or like how that, does it start, do you mind if I ask a few questions about your story? Sure, yes, please. Okay. You said you had a conversation with your family and not you specific, but all of them already knew what is happening to you. So does that mean like your entire family, your mom, dad, everybody knows about it and did nothing about it? And they expected you to adjust for that situation? Well, you know, sadly, uh, they knew what was happening to me and they did nothing about it. Um, and sadly, it wasn't just my family member. It was other people who abused me that I told them about and they eventually forgave the perpetrator and remained friends with them. So you can imagine how confusing that is for a child when you go to your parents and you say, this man hurt me and nothing be done about it. The reason I wanted to ask the question because even I was treated in the same way. Mm. So I went and I said that to my parents. It, first time it happened, I was seven. And when I went back and I spoke about it, I obviously doesn't know what it is. So whatever the words that I can put that into sentences at that time, I right. spoke about it. As you said, like, yeah, initially it was not understood with what I'm explaining to them. But later on, though they understood it, nothing happened. And uh, as you mentioned, again, like, yeah, the family members, it was uncles, like a couple of them were uncles who stayed in my house itself. And one person was like a regular visitor to, to the house. When I told my father, like, hey, your brother is treating me this way. The way it 
came back to me was like how dare are you talking about my brother to me i know mm. kind of a person he is you are not supposed to be talking about him you are mm. my own father was not even interested or like even have a, a slightest feel like okay there there might be something happening that she's coming over and over again to talk about the same thing so let's at least see that no that kind of a thought process was never there instead it it was always like yeah shutting me down you're not supposed to talk about that you're not how do i really know whether they have known about it throughout or like not very recently like uh this year in march there was a magazine published my story in their magazine Hmm. I gave it to my mom to read it my mom was staying with me uh, my dad passed away like 15 20 years back I I showed to my mom like hey mom uh, this was done and I have a 21 year old son right now we both sat with my mom and I gave my story to my mom to read it she read it there was not even a single expression about it she just closed and she was like okay and she was walking away and then my my son called her back and she was like why are you not even giving any comment or anything and she has just poured her life into that it was like what 7 to 8 minute of uh, a write up i believe i have sent it to you if you have a chance yes yeah. i i did yes yeah so my son was asking to my mom like yeah why are you not even giving any kind of expression her only expression back to me was like why are you talking about it now this is our uh, family that you wanted to talk about uh, like, my son asked her back like she's pretty blessed now if she wanted to talk about it at least she is making up her mind to talk about it now coming out and you are stopping her absolutely. to talk about it and i don't understand why you all her answer was like it is my family mm. and you expect me to go back and face them today because you wanted to come out today and i'm like i've been rotting hell throughout sitting in a corner for for about like 40 years and you you haven't done anything about knowing the fact and she was like yeah i kind of had a hunch wow wow and i tell you that's why it's so important that we have this conversation because children need a safe place to go to they need to be believed they need to be heard and it's that mindset that you just spoke of well that's my family we don't want to tarnish the family name well nobody's tarnishing anything that's already is exactly. <laughs> it's that's how it is i mean that's just the truth and and that was the same way with my family too if you know now that i think back you know it's they really wanted to everyone to believe that we were a real close tight knit religious family christian mm-hmm. family and and it would be so confusing because for instance you know when it came to my perpetrators we're not supposed to judge anyone we have to forgive people even our perpetrators but then at the same time they would see a young lady walking down the road in short shorts and a crop top and they would out look at that whore over there walking down the road very judgmental at the same time it yeah you know, so it was just these co- constant contradictions another thing i would add for that is like if they are seeing some other girl getting hurt like this they'll have so much they're so much compassionate towards them 
-hmm. The reason I wanted to bring that point is I was showing something on the TV to my mom and uh, five minutes into that episode, it is like a live, uh, not live, sorry, uh, recorded one where uh, people like me or you were talking about their abuse that happened. Uh, and one of the girl was talking that her own grandfather abused her when she was a child. The episode started, it was like our Indian uh, TV series about something like this, like abuse, talking about abuses and things like that. The episode started less than five minutes. My mom was like, I don't want to see that. And I'm like, why? That is so hurtful. I can't really see that. I'm like, I'm sitting right next to you. You never felt a single thing for me. And you are feeling so much for some other girl who was on the TV right now. What difference is that really giving you? Right. And, you know, and just to, and to add to that, you know what I tell people, because, you know, I got that same thing from my mom. Um, you know, she's like, you know, it's just too hard for me. I just, I don't know if I want to know everything. And my point is, if you think it's hard to know about it, how hard do you think it is to go through it and to experience it? and to live with the after effects from it. So whenever I hear that, I'm like you, I'm immediately offended <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, no, 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 that's no excuse, you know? Um, and, and going in what you said about, you feel that way about some stranger, but not even your daughter. I had a conversation with my mom who was defending her, decision to stay friends with someone who admitted about five years ago that they knew that I was being molested at the time and did nothing about it. Um, and my mom was still friends with her. And she's like, well, I've been friends with her for 15 years or 30 years. And I said, well, I've been your daughter for 41. And this is what I want people to understand. Seriously. <laughs> They are so afraid of losing friends or uh, it's, or they're so worried about what, what other people are going to think about them that they completely dismiss and minimize what has actually happened to the victim. And, and just by saying, well, I don't want to hear about that. You're basically looking at that victim and saying, your story does not matter to me. And that's what I'm here to change is that your story does matter. Every person's story matters. Every person. The person who was one of the persons who was doing is uh, a father in the church. Mm. I'm still goes there to hear his preaching. So I'm like, He's the one who behaved with your daughter and you are fine even till today to go to the church where he's preaching. How, would you, how do you even feel about him standing on that stage talking about God over there coming down and then doing all these things? My mom was like, it, it is his problem. God will punish him. I don't have to. Then why are you going there? Wow. Yes, yes. What, what is it that you think you're going to learn from that person? What is it that you still look up to in that person, knowing what they did? And, you know, and this is why it's also one of my main goals with speaking out is to raise awareness about 
who who's abusing our children you know and many times it's people that you know love and trust that's doing it it's your your ministers it's your coaches it's your teachers it's you know the family friends it's the people that are closest to you who that has are access. doing it yes who has access to the kids they are the people at that time okay. that's right that's right and so many times i'll see parents say oh i'm going to leave i'm going to leave my daughter with this family friend over here i've known him for so long he's going to be fine oh uh uh <laughs> no 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 <laughs> um if I, now i'm going to say this and i don't mean it in the generalized way that it's going to sound but if i have a family a male family friend who is showing interest in wanting to be alone with my daughter is offering to babysit is offering to take care of her or do things i'm sorry that's a red flag for me i'm sorry now that's not to say that every everybody, <laughs> everybody that is interested and cares about your child or that's i don't want to say that at all but you have to be mindful of those things mindful of when someone offers to be alone with your child yes absolutely you have to think about that do you have any siblings i do um i have four brothers and one sister was anything that you are aware of happened to them anytime um sadly yes um sadly two of my brothers um have said that things happened to them and i i don't want to disclose their their yes. stories the reason uh, i wanted to ask the question is i have a sibling elder brother and even to hear my story he doesn't know the complete story so uh, though i have been talking about it from past year across the media everywhere and even i'm publishing wherever i can uh, i don't think he ever gone through any of it i don't know whether he don't want to or like he just why said because he can't take it i, I don't know i don't want to get into that but i never heard anything from him the the family that he knows the people that he knows whoever did that to me as well are like a, such a happy family and a very positive happy family that's all he knows but when he hears these kind of things from me are like you're looking it from my perspective about the same people i think he can't digest that fact like yeah are these the same people that grew up with are these the same people that i looked up to for whatever the reasons but the same people are coming back and doing this to my sister yeah i you know I, asking yeah and you know i experienced that too and i think that um a lot of times what happens is people are really conflicted you know it's hard for people to know someone as one way yes for so many years and then hear oh wait what is what is saying that's that's new i didn't know that about them and then they're they're trying they're battling in their mind what's right who who is this pers- person really are they really this person that i've known all these years or are they now this person and my answer is they've been this person all along you've just seen it now yes yes 
And whenever you see this, you have to disregard everything else because this is new information. New information that you now have to investigate, think about, figure out. But I, I, you know, I know for my mom in particular, because my uncle was her brother, obviously, she felt like she was betraying her brother. Same thing. Yes, she was betraying her brother. And I was like, but, but didn't your brother betray you? Your brother betrayed you by harming me. And I, as your daughter, should be your number one priority. And therefore, I should take precedent over him. You know, but I have to tell you, to this day, now that uncle has since passed on. But to this day, on Father's Day, on his birthday, I see posts from family members about him, the best father, the best this, the best that, you know, I hope you're having a wonderful heavenly birthday, you know, these kinds of things. And that just like goes to my soul. It's like, even now, you're still not acknowledging who that person was and what he did to me. And sadly, I wasn't the only victim. I wasn't his only victim and they know that too. And so there's something strange. Now I have to say my family, deep Southern family of Alabama and Georgia, very, you know, grew up Baptist. There's something about when it comes to their family that they just they just feel like they have to sweep everything under the rug and I don't know you know growing up I always thought well it's because of you know being a Christian you're a Christian you don't want to hold on to any hate in your heart you don't want to but no all it was was denial they're still in denial about who he is and sadly they may never awaken to that reality. But what I do know is that that's their problem. Yes. And there's nothing that I can do to change that. That's one of those things that are out of my control. I say, not my, not my monkeys, not my circus. (laughs) 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 Um, But you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do that. I'm not saying it's easy, but it has to be done. You know, you just have to, sometimes you have to accept people for who they are. And I've accepted that many members of my family will never admit, nor will they come to me to tell me that they were ever wrong or that they're, that they're sorry. And, and that's something that I've accepted. And I had to learn that I don't need that for them to validate what happened to me. It was almost as if I needed them to acknowledge it for validation. No, this really did happen to me because they said it and they said, and they said, because it's so unbelievable, (laughs) you know? And so it's just, it's very interesting how family dynamics are when it comes to incest and sexual abuse and how difficult 
it is to break those generational cycles. But this is where I get into my cycles because now we have to think. Now, what did my grandma go through? Was my grandmother abused? Was my grandfather abused? If they were abused, who was there for them? Who showed them how to heal? And what I've learned is sadly, it, nobody. And they're only continuing on what they know, which is to ignore, which is to forget, which is to brush it under the rug, which is to pretend like it never happened. You don't talk about it because somehow if you talk about it, it's somehow your fault because you must have done something to deserve it. I love that point. Like you must have done something, whether to deserve it or even to provoke the other person. That's right. Why didn't, you, why didn't you leave? You know, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you this? Why didn't you that? Why didn't you this? But there's so many reasons why when you're a child victim, you can't always run. <laughs> you're, you're stuck, you know, in my case, you know, they say, you know, uh, what is it? Fight, flight or freeze. I'm a freezer. I'm a freezer. And that was just what I knew. It was, it became, you just let them do it because then it will be over with. Yep, that was there for me. I recently read yep. posts saying, uh, talking about how a female should dress. Oh, and it's not oh I hate those. <laughs> Because that is what provoking the men. Yeah. That was saying, like, then what am I wearing at the age of seven? Maybe my diapers provoked the other person to do that to me. <laughs> the, the person was like, yes, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, but yeah, that is a whole different perspective to really think about it. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, yeah. when people are doing it, it's not the problem about this other person. It is their mentality, their problem. Exactly. And that's actually another great point that I want to make when I'm speaking is I want to change the mindset for boys that girls are responsible for their actions, <laughs> that girls are responsible for their feelings. I could be walking down the street stark butt naked, and that still does not give anyone the right to touch me in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't matter if I'm wearing a crop top or a short skirt or long jeans and a sweater. Boys need to understand that shoulders are just shoulders. We need to stop sexualizing our children. We do it from the dress codes in the schools. That's sexualizing them by saying girls can't wear, can't show their shoulders. Why not? <laughs> you know, why can't they, you know? But at the same time, you have boys like at PE running around with their shirts off. And that's okay, boys can just run around. It's just, it's a double standard. It's a double standard. And, and you know, and I have to say this too, you know, boys are preyed upon just as much, well, not just as much, but a I fair amount, that. okay? Yes, yes <laughs> it's, it's out there, okay? Yes. Um, and so I want to change the mindset 
that it's somehow manly or masculine for these boys to pursue older girls or have sex at younger ages because, you know, oh, you're a man now, you know, because you had sex or you have 15 year old boys having sex with 22 year old women and somehow that's, that's okay, but it's not. That is also abuse. That is also sexual abuse. Whether the child agreed to it or not, because guess what? You can't give consent until you're 18. If you're under 18, you can't give consent. So even if you gave consent to that grown man, that or that grown woman, I should say, that woman has still just you. molested you or raped you even depending on what takes place. And so we need to remember that women can be perpetrators too. Uh, Absolutely. I know. I know the people actually. Yes. And boys coming out and talking to me about what happened to them and who is the other person who did that and what exactly happened. I was like, are you serious? Even women? That's the first time I was actually hearing about like women doing it on men, not Mm -hmm. even men like kids. Right. And, you know, and I found that in, during my during my research that um, the majority of boys who are abused are abused by women. Yes. Are abused by women. And what happens is at a young age, females are sexualized. And now because they had ex- that experience with an older woman, they're going to expect that same experience from younger girls. Yeah. And they're going to want it to pursue that with them. And, and that's how that's how it all starts. You know, so we need to, <clears throat> to start realizing that women can be abusers just as much as men. It is not masculine for boys to, to have sex at an at early age. Um, it's not something that needs to be celebrated or encouraged. It's something that needs to be frowned upon and acted upon when it happens. These women shouldn't be getting away with it just as much as these men. But sadly, yeah, they do. They get away with it. And you know, I'm there. And, and of course, you know, vic- some victims do become perpetrators. But I just need to say this. I need to make it known that. It's a very small number of victims that actually become perpetrators. So I want to make sure that people understand just because someone has been victimized does not mean that you have to be afraid of them around your children or be fearful that they're going to be a, a perpetrator. But also know that some do. And that's why it's so important to start when they're young, to start um, with the therapy if they were abused as young boys, to, so they know that you know it wasn't right, that the, there's nothing to be ashamed of, that they did nothing wrong, and to help break these cycles that keep continuing because too many people are being traumatized and walking this world unhealed. I call them the walking wounded. It, they're unhealed people who are just walking around and hurting other people because they don't know any better. Because they're only acting on, you know, what they know from their childhood and, and what their parents taught them and so on and so forth. So 
you also spoke about uh, self-worth. You felt like, yeah, you don't deserve better and giving yourself to other men is the only worth that you are having. Yes. I, I definitely understand how hard is the process to build your actual self-worth on what you feel confident about. But what was the process for you? And what was the hardest moment that you felt like you had to come out of that shell kind of to have your self-worth built? Well, you know... Um... It was, uh, it was really a process through therapy, you know, um, of talking about the blame and the shame that I felt and the therapist, you know, helping me process through those and know that that's not true. But one of the most impactful things that happened to me um, was, with, uh, was with a person who uh, I worked with on a professional nature. And as... Uh, with trauma, sometimes with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, there, uh, there are some effects called repetition compulsion. And that is something that I've struggled with over the years is repetition compulsion. And what had happened is this professional who was an attractive person, um, was very respectful of me, very... Um, professional, very, I, I, I guess it just, it's really hard to describe, just no one had been, no one had treated me the way that he had treated me. Like he never hit on me. He never um, flirted with me. He never, or anything. And I felt myself like, wait a second, what's wrong with me? Why isn't he flirting with me? I want him to flirt with me because that's how I know that I'm good. And because I have such a good relationship with this person, I was able to speak out what I was feeling. I said, look, I've, this is on my mind. I need to say this to get it off my mind because I need to, to live in reality here, you know, and not live in a fantasy world of, you know, does he like me? Does he not like me? And, uh, you know, these things that you create because that's where your value is, right? And so I just said to him, I said, you know, I said, I, I, said, I feel like, I said, I feel like, you must have feelings for me or you must be attracted to me or, and I tell you, this man looked me in my eye and for the first time ever in my life said to me, Yvonne, actually, I'm not attracted to you. I, um, I don't want any type of relationship with you. We are, you know, professional and professional only. And you need to understand that I value, that I value you. I care about you as a person. Yes, but I value you for your talents, your, uh, your determination, your passion, you know, your creativity. And he just went down the list of all of the things that I hadn't stopped to think about. And it was in that moment that I was like, holy crap, holy crap. I am worthy of things other, I have value and worth you know, in this world. And it's not just sexual. My voice matters. My story matters. I am going to inspire others. I am going to help others. And let me tell you, that was the most corrective healing experience of my life. 
because that could have gone a, a really different direction. It could have gone where that person could have taken advantage Absolutely. of that vulnerability that I showed and could have taken advantage of that. And you know what? In the past, everyone always did until now. And it was that moment that I was like, yeah, I got this. Yeah, I, I got this. <laughs> I know what I'm worth. That's right. I am worthy, you know. <laughs> so, so because I, I also love to sing and I write poetry and I dance and I do all of these things. And there's so many parts to me other than just sex. And so it was, it was a really wonderful moment that, um, that will stick with me. That will stick with me. Definitely. You mentioned your first relationship was like not really good and you left him after abuser or all these traumas. It's not easy for leaving an abuser because for you, there is kind of an attachment that you are so used to it at the same time, even the other person has that on you. The reason I want to ask this question again is like, yes, I was in domestic abuse situation. I was married only once and I never had any relationships before and after. Mm. It's been like 15 years that I'm single and I don't really care. I don't want to go for any man or anything at all. Yeah. That was my choice, actually. It was not sure. like tradition or anything. I, sure. I really don't want it for so many other reasons, but yeah, mm-hmm. leave mm-hmm. that aside. When I wanted to leave my ex-husband, there was a lot of drama, drama from him saying like, yeah, he's in so much love with me. He doesn't know how to treat me. Uh, so that's the reason he was abusive towards me. And he has gone through whatever it is. He did not go through anything, actually. He was making up all these things. But at the point, the point was like, he never let me leave him. It came to a situation where I have to go and get a restraining order and serve him to get out of my house. Even then, he did not go out. I walked out with my son. And I went to pick up my son. I picked him up from school. And I just left the house just like that. I did not come back. I tasted life on the street as homeless. I did not care about it. It came to that point, that extent. So what was your experience leaving that person was it definitely was not easy, but. No, you know, and my problem was I didn't want to leave. I was in the situation and I was a teenager thinking my love is so powerful. It's going to change this person. And as long as I stay with this person and I give them unconditional love and unconditional support that they're going to change. But then you realize and that's what happened. I realized. That is your innocence there at that age. Mm-hmm. I don't have the power to change anyone. That he had to change himself and he wasn't willing to do that. And I wasn't willing to stay in it any longer. And that's really when I just said, you know, he was at work. I packed my bags while he was away because I was scared. And, um, and he hunted me down. He found where I was staying and he came and slashed my tires and, you know, you know, made a scene at, you know, made a scene at my job, destroying 
you know, the store that I worked in and uh, stealing things. And, oh, I mean, he was just awful. And it was almost like that was his attempt. He, that was his attempt to get me back because normally that kind of behavior, I would go running back because I thought, oh, well, as long as I'm with him, he's not going to feel that way anymore. But what he realized is that wasn't working anymore. And he eventually gave up and I didn't have to do a restraining order or, or anything like that, fortunately. Um, and then he was just out of my life. But it was the moment that I realized that my love, not even love is powerful enough to change someone, that they just have to, they have to change themselves. And I just wasn't willing to stick around and wait for it anymore. When you left him and came out, you mentioned like, yeah, that was the first time you were independent by yourself yes. and you started living. How was tasting the freedom for the first time and what was your fears at the time? <laughs> oh, wow. My, you know, a great sense of pride is what I felt. Um, I felt so proud to have my own apartment, even though there were, you know, everything that I, that I owned was given to me. I, I just felt so proud that it was mine and that I was able to pay for it. And that, because here's the other thing you have to understand growing up, I um, grew up in deep, deep poverty, really, really bad poverty. And so, you know, there, I grew up without electricity a lot of times, without eating a lot of times. So having my own money and being responsible and actually starting that life that I knew that I was going to have. That was like the start of my dream from when I was a kid. Okay, here it is. You know, my fears were naturally, can I do this? Am I going to be able to afford all of this stuff on my own? And you realize that, yes, when you, when you budget for what you can afford, you make it, you make it work, you know? Um, but I think it was sitting out on my sun porch one morning having a cup of coffee and the most beautiful blue jay started singing a most beautiful song on the perch next to my my sun porch where I was having my coffee and it was when I realized for the first time in my life I was at peace there was no conflict going on there were no feelings, any negative feelings coming up about, you know, things that had happened to me, or it was, it was like having peace and knowing that I now had the freedom to create the life that I wanted for myself. And that that's what I was going to do, that I didn't have to live the life that I lived as a kid or live the life as, you know, a lot of my family still live that I had the choice, I have the choice to make a difference. And that's what I did. And that's what I will continue to do until, um, until I can't do it anymore. <laughs> what was the most painful experience in your healing journey? The most painful um, would definitely be coming to terms with um, my mom forgiving perpetrators and staying friends with perpetrators. Believe it or not, um, it's been very difficult for me to tap into my anger towards my mom. 
for that. And so what the, ask that question. Go ahead. Yes, yes. So the most painful part of, of it was actually allowing myself to feel that anger towards a person that I love so much. And I've spent so many years justifying what happened to me because she was being abused by my dad or, you know, just justifying everything and giving excuses as to why she wasn't there. But it's when I tapped into that anger, that was the toughest part. That was the toughest part because I was afraid I would hate my mom. I don't want to hate my mom. I was afraid that the anger would come and never go away, but it did. It comes and it goes, it comes and it goes, but it's okay because I'm supposed to feel it. I have to feel that anger. Otherwise it's just gonna sit dormant inside my body and cause me issues for the rest of my life. We have to get this pain out of our system. It's, it's healing, it's growing, it's, you can't suppress any emotion, whether it be anger, even love, you don't want to suppress that either. I mean, you need to be able to express how you feel no matter what. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.